0: hey this is kate welcome to two pastors take a walk and make a podcast
1: this is yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us what we're thinking about and what we are preaching
0: All right, so what is astonishing
1: you this week? I'm astonished by the ways, the real and deep, true ways our congregations shape people in the way of Jesus. I need
0: to hear this this
1: week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at our elders meeting on Monday night, um, I began to question, not if we're doing it, but to what degree? Yeah, right. Because the reality are the reality is we are shaping people, and in some way we are shaping people in the way of Jesus. But you know, I've been in um, this congregation, the Rider church, for uh, two years now, and when you enter into a congregation, you inherit a group of Sunday school classes and small groups. And the temptation is to simply manage those and say, Hey, they're functioning. So just leave well enough alone. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just being moved to ask, well, what could we do better? In what ways are we not being faithful in shaping people in the way of Jesus? And um, I've been thinking about, um, back when I was a teenager, I worked in a factory on an assembly line. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody has their thing that they do in the assembly line. And at the end, there's this product that is produced. And if we are seeking to uh, produce uh, by the word and the spirit, uh, mature, fully functioning followers of Jesus, are are we doing that in in I remember that when I was working in this factory every once in a while everything would stop and people would be told to do things slightly different Mm -hmm. some to you know different degrees than others but at the end of the assembly line the product would be different and I'm I'm thinking that we as a community, just need to pause yeah. and to ask, okay, are we producing what we think we're producing? So
0: that's so interesting. Two things come to my mind. One is I really like this work life podcast that um, Adam Grant does as a TED mm. podcast and he does like seven a year. And so it just came back, but it's interesting that you said that because he's, he talks about organizations that he thinks are, are intentionally doing work well, right? So mm. mission, I mean, sure, it's, it's sure, corporate mission. But he was talking about how, like, when um, organizations need to make a shift, um, that the best time for that to happen is when it's not in crisis, right? Like, sometimes when there is a crisis, you make a shift and mm. you can save your bacon. Mm-hmm. But that's not really the ideal time to ask those wow. big questions wow. of, like, are we doing what we say we're doing? Mm-hmm. Like, the time to ask those questions is not when there's all this evidence that the ship's about to go down. Mm-hmm. The time to ask those questions is when actually things are going pretty well. And that if you oh, wait until there's a crisis, that... And I just think that's so so interesting in terms of what you're saying is to say, let's have a conversation about are we forming disciples here, not because SOS, danger, danger, everything is terrible, but because no, 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 we have kind of the, the space and the, and the resources yeah. to do this thoughtfully and well. And that's, that's what helpful. he said. He said, like, organizations need to ask these questions when it's not in crisis because when that's you're not helpful. in crisis is when you have time to experiment, right? Like, that's when you can develop yeah. devote resources to trying things that may or may not work. When, if you're in crisis, you basically, you know, you might get your one moonshot, but that's it. And sometimes, sometimes that works, but yeah. a lot of times it, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. So the time to do that deep work is when you're in a good place. That's helpful. The other thing that is really interesting to me about that is, you know, I think I've talked several times about how, um, when I was working with a coach for a little while, um, he sent, he had us do this church unique series Mm -hmm. where it was this very long process that I really was very fruitful, but kind of entered into it on blind faith. But it was, you know, a 10 or 12 week process for a significant group of people in the church to, 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 meet regularly and do these kinds of um praying and thought experiments and conversations that ultimately resulted in our creating our mission statement and our Mm -hmm. values um which i that was very good but a key part of that that just felt like just felt kind of um artificial or strange is one of the exercises they had us do was to like imagine pete walks into your congregation. Now, first, imagine how do you connect with him? How do you welcome Mm -hmm. him? And then say, like, but ultimately, spend some time having a conversation about what is your hope for Pete Mm -hmm. after Pete becomes a part of your community, right? Like, what does success look like Mm -hmm. um, in the lives of a person who, who connects and invests and is formed by your... And for me, it's just like, gosh, I mean, like, I get it, but also it just feels kind of like above our pay grade to be Mm -hmm. able to say, like, I can't manufacture how the Holy Spirit creates something or someone or makes disciples. But now I feel like if I could go back again, which of course I can, I feel like we could say something like, well, we believe that mature disciples are people who... I mean, what what are the hallmarks? Like, like people who regularly, personally pray yes. and meditate on scripture. Yes. We believe that a mature disciple is one who regularly delights mm-hmm. in worshiping in community, not because they feel guilt or shame, sure. but because this is where they want to be. We feel like a mature believer is someone who delights in serving mm-hmm. even when that service isn't recognized and affirmed. We feel like a mature believer is one who grieves over the injustice Mm. of the world Mm. and can see clearly the powers of principalities that steal life and can choose to, you know, resist them and to participate in the kingdom of God. Like, we can name those things, and we may or may not be able to, you know, obviously do the Holy Spirit's work of manufacturing them, but we can at least measure, like, gosh, Mm. are people becoming... abiding deeper in Christ through their participation in this community or are we doing good things but that aren't having that result yes
1: well what sparked that thinking in me was that we were in our elders meeting and we were looking at our church calendar for Mm -hmm. the next two months and we also rent space to a small Spanish speaking congregation Mm -hmm. and I noticed I just looked at one week of their church calendar Literally, every night, there was a gathering for prayer. Two nights of that same week, they were gathering in the morning and in the evening, plus Sunday morning worship. And I just highlighted that for our group, and I said, let's compare our calendar and it was a lot of administrative work.
0: Yeah. Although you just told me not to compare. We just well, yes, about, well. <laughs> no, I, no, I hear what you're saying. And and obviously it's not a matter of like, I mean, who knows what the culture of that church is, right? Yeah. But I do think it's worth saying, like, are we spending all of our time just making sure that our institution is surviving institutionally? Or yes. are we making sure that the things that this institution exists to do
1: yes. are flourishing and being yes. done?
0: I, I mean, I totally get it. And
1: I'm not saying that we're not doing anything to sure. to to make disciples or, or right. right to disciple the people under our roof. I'm just asking, can we get better at it? Is there sure. more we should be doing? Well,
0: and like we're not going to accomplish our mission on accident. And yeah. So I do feel like it's yes. just scary though. It's yes. scary to think about this stuff because And thinking about that seriously, like, if my mission is to run two barbecues and an after-school program and Mm -hmm. expand to a second Mm -hmm. service, I mean, those are all things that... I can, like, muscle my way into habit, right? Right, right. And so there's an ele- an element of control, mm-hmm. which is comforting, mm-hmm. even if the task is daunting. But if saying, like, our mission is to create disciples of Jesus Christ, which I actually can't do without yes. the participation of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. then that just makes us so vulnerable in a way I think that is profoundly generative and mm-hmm. fruitful for us as believers, but is just... Really, no fun. Sure, nobody wants to be that vulnerable to God. Yeah. Or, I mean, I think some people do. But
1: well, (laughs) then, then, then I need to have in mind. Well, how do I help people see this as something that's not scary, Mm -hmm. and something that is joy, Mm -hmm. something that is pleasure, Mm -hmm. right? This idea of well, let's think through. How our life together is forming us to be mature followers of Jesus. like for me that's that's fairly exciting conversation mm-hmm. but I could see how it could come across as threat, judgment, um, scare, um, well, also vulnerability just this
0: Theological shift because if I if I hear you and I'm not used to thinking in this way then I'm like, are you just asking me to be God in somebody else's life? That's uh, not what I'm called to do. that's not like that feels you know profoundly unfaithful and and egotistical and so to be able to say hey I, i'm willing to invite people into our community i'm willing to be serious about you know doing ministry together and and, and so i think you're well we did a ministry audit a couple of years ago at mm. the charlotte presbytery where we just were sort of saying hey let's look at everything that we're doing and then let's just have an honest conversation about like this is this still the season to be doing this thing? Just because we do this well, mm. just because we enjoy it, doesn't mean that it's accomplishing the mission of this organization. And I feel like that's an important thing that we always need to be, conversation we always need to be having yeah. in the organizations that we lead. And hopefully not when it's a crisis, you know. so I
1: think that's important. Well, what's astonishing you?
0: Um, well... Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm going to dig deep and say, I, I this week in particular, have just been so aware of how much small acts of faithfulness matter mm-hmm. and that they are the fuel and the... I mean, obviously, the Holy Spirit is what makes the church worthwhile. Sure. Right? But, you know, our part is not to do great things transformative things for God, but to be um, devoted and committed to doing the small acts of obedience and faithfulness in the sphere of influence that we have. And I mean, just from the seat that I sit in at the Grove from the unique vantage point of my my role as the pastor, I think I see um, that a lot of people show up and do things which they conceive of as small and they have no idea mm. how necessary and how essential and, and just how fruitful they are in the context of the whole community. And, you know, it's funny because you're in 52 weeks of joy at Dorida and, and the Grove has a word of the year too. And I've just been much less intentional about lifting it up in our community. But our our word of this year is small. And mm. I really feel like, you know, we have within our community everything that we need in order to be faithful to God in this season. It's already wow. here. Wow. Right? And so then the reality is being able to not despise and overlook the giftings that we have mm. and and not to understand that your my small gift, your small gift are things which are ineffective you know, on their own or by the world's scale are just not even worth devoting your time to, that that these are, you know, the mustard seeds and the widow's mite that display the glory of God in our context, and I think so often I see people doing small things with great faithfulness, and I want to do a better job of naming that because it Mm. astonishes me, and I also... You know, I just grieve the fact that I see sometimes people not doing things, I think because they sincerely think it just doesn't really matter that much. Like, yeah. it doesn't really matter that much if I come to Bible study or not. It doesn't really matter that much if I pray for this person. It doesn't really matter that much if I show up and participate in this ministry. And it's not that they're saying I'm too good for this. or that, I mean, I just think that I, as a pastor, just want to own that I don't think I have been... Um, you know, effective enough in helping people mm. understand that that small is the scale we work on in the kingdom mm, of God. That's so good. That Jesus does big, and we do small. And we live in a culture where small is crap, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's easy for us to just feel like, well, I'll do something big for God when my time for doing something big for God comes, <laughs> right? In a crisis, I'm going to rise to the occasion right. without sort of realizing that the small, steady, you know, sort of overlooked, humble acts of showing up every day and, and, you know, I think we need to do a better job of affirming one another and, mm. uh, and and giving one another standing ovations and honoring the things that are truly honorable in our community, but also just kind of recognizing that a lot of the things that are essential will always be unseen. And the things that are most un- essential is the spiritual work we do in our own hearts, which yeah. is to be able to say, like, I feel some type of way about this situation or about mm-hmm. this decision before I charge in. I need to really examine my own heart and lift it up to God and say, like, well, why is this, why is this sitting on me so weird? Why do do I have this feeling of, of anger or shame or guilt or, you know, like I'm unloved like what, let me check myself first. So anyway, that is just what I'm looking at is, um, Hey, there are so many people at the Grove who are so faithful about doing things, um, that they probably think are small Mm -hmm. that from the measurement of the culture are small, but in the kingdom of God, great, And I see people taking themselves out of the game from a sense of, well, what, it doesn't matter. Because it's small. It's small. It doesn't matter. Mm. Not that many people will come to my class. Not that many people show up to this. Or I might talk to someone at the community meal, but it wouldn't matter. They'll talk to someone else if I'm not there. I mean, right? Like, we just think, like, I mean, I'm glad that... that I, I I don't want... I do not want the culture of the Grove to be one formed out of guilt or shame mm-hmm. at all. I don't want to, like, don't make your excuse. I don't want that. But I want people to know that the gifts they bring matter, especially when we live in a culture that says if you don't have $6 million, your life really isn't going to have an impact. Yeah. Right. I, I yeah. want this to be a culture where people understand that there's just power... And fruitfulness and and meaning in the gifts they bring and in the way they participate. And I and I want that to be the culture of the grove, that it that it doesn't have to be big as the world sees big, it doesn't have to be big as the kingdom sees big. Yeah. Small works yeah. for Jesus. That's, That's how good. our minds need to be reformed. And I and I am I like just mm-hmm. be the first to say that I I know it theologically. I, I preach it meaningfully, but emotionally, like I'm still doing catch up work there sure. as well. Like, I still look at our after school program and think, like, it takes everything we have. It's such a huge sink of resources, both time and money. And there are, you know, many days when we have 12 kids, and it's hard to be like, well, psh, we shouldn't, we should go do something bigger that has a bigger impact, that'll, yeah. you know, yeah. make the papers, yeah. that'll do whatever. Like, does it really matter yeah. if we bring people together to serve these 12 kids, you know? And I think if I read the gospel, the answer is yes. Mm. And just, I'm
1: thinking, oh, you have an after-school program. How great.
0: <laughs> no, but, I don't know. Anyway, that, that's what it's astonishing to me. Yeah. It's that small matters, and it's so hard to live that out. Yeah. I mean, you really believe it mm-hmm, day by mm-hmm. day. So, what are you thinking about?
1: I am thinking about a revelation I had in my car earlier <laughs> this week And And it's so, well, no, it, 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 it's, you will be able to say, oh yeah, duh, of course. But for me, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was driving home one evening earlier this week from, um, church, a, a church event. And I realized I need to stop saying something that I've said for years and years and years. And, Believed it to be true, but it's not helping in the way that I thought. And I, I've often over the years said things like, "Prayer is easy. Okay. All you do is talk to God." Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Right?
1: Reading your Bible is easy. Yeah. Right? I think the NIV is translated on something like a a ninth grade level, something like that.
0: I thought
1: it was a third grade level. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I thought it was ninth grade, but. Yeah. Right, I'm like you. This is easy. You can do this, and I'm driving home. And I mean, know that's it's it's that's not doing what I intend because it's my like heart empowering people. Yes, my heart is to invite people into these spiritual disciplines to say you can do this. But the reality is these things are hard. Yeah. they're not easy. And as I was driving home. I saw myself, um, and I don't think I've ever been to Panther Stadium, but I saw myself at Pan- Panther Stadium, and a voice said, run up and down the stairs from the bottom to the top of the stadium. And I thought, this is easy. You just put one foot in front yeah, of the other, yeah, yeah. right? I get it. But then as you run up the stairs, there's this thing called gravity that pulls yeah. against you, right? Yeah. And that makes it hard. It's like, oh, yes. There's this
0: yes. thing called ice cream. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, yes, the concept of prayer is easy, talking to God, but in reality, there are forces that pull against you. There's the enemy, there's your own flesh. Reading the Bible is easy, but there are forces that pull against you and make those things hard. And so I just need to begin to um, lovingly say to people, you know what? Following Jesus is hard, but... There's a, there's a joy in the difficulty. There's, there's a joy still. And um, yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking about is, is, is this repentance that I need to, um, to do you know, around that.
0: I think it would be so important to, to say that in the preaching moment to your congregation. I
1: am this Sunday. That's, that's the good. plan. I think it's yeah.
0: really important because mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I think as somebody who really struggles to pray, mm. really struggles to meditate on scripture, mm. it's not a matter of like, obviously I know how to read and <laughs> clearly I know how to talk. What? But, <laughs> but it is just, it's spiritual work. And and, yeah. and really, I mean, to say, like, to pray is easy. I mean, talking to God is easy, but facing the truth about yourself and your life in light of who God is yes. is, terri- it is terrifying. Yes. It's profound. I mean, like, to, to face what's real yes. in a culture that tells us to just numb ourselves with all kinds of artificial mm-hmm. things all the time to... To spend time in the presence of what is real is is the hardest work that some of us will ever do, and mm-hmm. and other people have different struggles, right? But like mm-hmm. that's definitely my struggle, and so I think if when I hear someone and people often do say this is easy, you can do it, I'm like, yeah, I know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I shouldn't be doing it more,
0: and I'm not. Yeah. So now I'm I'm not only in the struggle, but I'm also beating myself up about this, yes. which is not helpful, and, and not what,
1: what I, you intend. What yeah, what I realized was. Oh, well, I'm making people feel guilty when I intend to empower and invite... Um, and I'm like, oh, that is not what I want to do. No,
0: I think that would just be so transformative for people to hear that. And, yeah. and just to say, I mean, really honestly, like, we are all wired differently. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so what for for you can be sort of your solace mm-hmm. and your place of strength and deep joy, mm-hmm. for other people can be their deepest battlefield. Yeah. And yours will be other yeah. places, right? Yeah. And so just to be able to name, like, if this is hard for you, then I want to affirm you in the struggle. I want to mm-hmm. encourage you. I want to encourage you that it's possible. I want to yeah. encourage you that yeah. if... What you get is five minutes of reading or, or, you know, 30 seconds of praying before you fall asleep. I want mm-hmm. to encourage you that that's not wasted. That's and right. I want to encourage you to that's move right. onward. But no, that's really, yeah. that's really powerful. And I just think it's so cool to stand up in front of the congregation and model for them. Hey, I saw the spiritual world in this one way. And then yeah. all of a sudden God told me I was totally wrong about something that really mattered. And I can stand up here and own this without filtering out yes. because I'm trying to grow. Yeah. I- Yes. I'm trying to be a better pastor for you all. And and also even to be able to model saying like, if, if, you know, if my saying this made you feel this way, I grieve that and I'm sorry. Well,
1: and it also, what, what I want people to hear is that this is what growth looks like. Yeah. Growth looks like I thought I was right. Right. (laughs) But I was wrong and I'm I'm not going to fall apart because right. I realized I got it wrong. It's, oh, I once was blind, but now I yes, see. It. Right. Yeah. It's but like, but oh, yes. Whatever
0: we have right, we didn't get right by dint of
1: our virtue Hello. Or Hello. Like,
0: whatever truth I have is just yes. the truth God gave me. Yes. And so it's mine to share and not yes. to feel proud of. And whatever truth I don't have, God gave it to you and you're supposed to give it to me and yeah. I'm supposed to receive it. Right? Yeah. Like we're supposed to be bound together in that kind of mutuality of yeah. discovering and not having any kind of... Feeling any type of way of discovering that we're wrong because a foundational principle of, I think, healthy, mature believing is oh, you know what? I am a sinner. Yeah. So, like, I'm yeah. not super yeah. surprised. Or, and in your case, not sin as most people would define it, but but fallen, right? Or yes. like, incomplete and or weak.
1: F- flawed right? and, yeah. Or just growing. Yeah.
0: Right? So, yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. That's really
1: cool. So, the what do you think about yeah. that
0: image of being in the stadium? I know you, I mocked you.
1: You I'm were sorry. mocking me. I'm sorry. <laughs> And I said, Well, let me just continue hey, hey,
0: hey, hey, and I'm a sinner <laughs> I'm a sinner, right? I tell my <laughs> girls all the time, like, one of the things I try to say all the time mm. say, you are beloved. You are popular. You've got love. <laughs> um, but we talk about you are beloved and you are not perfect. And mm. like, just to, to really name that about themselves from the earliest age so that when they mess up, I'm like, yeah, we'll talk about this. Mm. But your belovedness is not at stake. Like, mm. not the, the fact that you are not perfect is not a surprise to me. You might be surprised. I am not. You might be worried that somehow your essential identity or my love for you is at stake, but Mm. I'm not, because I already knew you were beloved Mm. and not perfect. I'm beloved and not perfect. So to to be able to hold both of those truths, which the world teaches us are mutually exclusive, right? You're you're beloved because you are perfect, Mm -hmm. and if you're not perfect, then Then you have no value or worth, right? The world teaches us that those things can't both be true. Mm. The gospel says... They absolutely are. Yes. And and I can say both of those things about myself.
1: And you must say both right? of those and things about yourself. And I'm not ashamed
0: yeah. to discover that I'm a, a, a creature in need of saving. I'm yeah. not ashamed. And I'm not offended by imperfection in other people because yeah. I've made it peace with even wow. myself. Yeah, that's good. Um, may, I've made peace with the fact that I need saving. Yeah. Not yeah. theoretically, but actually. Yeah. 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 So uh, it's tough.
1: So what are you thinking about?
0: Um I'm thinking about a lot, but what I will just say is um maybe tangentially inspired by all of the craziness in the um operation varsity Blues scandal <laughs> um, and just how some people I think I mean the whole thing is just bizarre and so there's just a fascination with the bizarreness of it all. but I think there are some people who are who are literally shocked to discover that, um, America is not a meritocracy. Mm. And then there are most people of color and, you know, saying like, uh, yeah, yeah. This, is, <laughs> this is not a surprise. But I was just thinking about yeah. it in the context of, so, so, I mean, my primary home, I hope is not my country of origin, but the kingdom of God. Mm. Right. And I, and I think this idea of meritocracy is such an ideal for our nation but the Kingdom of God is not a meritocracy, right? Mm. And I think we sometimes like sort of un uh, we're unaware of the fact of how we 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 import that ideal into our life in Christ, right? And so we're always, you know, striving to do more, be more, give more, you know, like just to to get more mm. honor by being more rec- you know, like to get more merit, right? And when we talk about like, can we be satisfied and you know and initially I would say can I just find my deep soul satisfaction in being faithful to Jesus mm. right like not mm-hmm. in the size of my church not mm-hmm. in what people think about me as a preacher not about being recognized mm-hmm. by my colleagues as being right like can I just like if my work if my life is faithful to Jesus, even if it were invisible, even if it were despised by other, you know, could I just could that be enough for me? And then I realize it's deeper than that. That my faithfulness, my satisfaction, my soul satisfaction, my peace is not supposed to lie in my ability to be faithful to Jesus. It's supposed wow. to lie in Jesus's. Yeah. Being faithful to me, yes, right? Yes. So that there's no meritocracy of, at all in the yes. kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, Jesus has merit, and we, ha- you yes. know, and we borrow it, yes. right? And so yes. I'm not comparing myself to other people mm. because because that's just not that's not the atmosphere. That's not the culture. The culture is Jesus is righteous, mm. and my righteousness is found in Jesus. And that's so, good, you know. And it was interesting. Like years ago, I was doing spiritual direction. Um and at one point, um, Lisa Lisa Coons was giving mm-hmm. me spiritual direction. She was talking about like what she might see um, in my future or at, maybe even asking me. And I mm-hmm. sort of said like, you know, I don't even like to talk about that I like in amb- ambition or, or dreams or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it just makes me profoundly uncomfortable because I don't know. I just I don't want to put it out there and then not achieve it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't know. But and so I sort of like reluctantly admitted, like, gosh, I would love to um, you know, be able to preach at conferences. I would, I would, in all honesty, if I'm being really vulnerable, I would love to write a book, right? Yeah, like I, would lo- yeah. I would love to do that. Like, not yeah. that I think the world needs that from me or whatever. Like, I would enjoy the experience sure. of doing those things. And she said back to me, like, I see that in your future. Because, you know, she's spooky holy and we've already covered that. And, I, and my response to her, I remember I was like, I don't, like, oh, that's too much. I can't, hmm. like, I don't, whatever. And she's like, what are you talking about? What there's no more value in being a conference speaker than in being the janitor in the kingdom of God. Like the fact that you think that that's like too much or too great or something betrays your fundamental misunderstanding wow. of what the kingdom of God is. Because mm. in the kingdom of God, the values I really believe in—one's worthiness comes from Christ, not from the function yeah. that a person plays—and in America, it is. Mm. Better to be a conference speaker than a janitor. It's just better. I and mean, mm-hmm. people will say like, mm-hmm. "cream rises to the top." Right? Like, that is just, wow. and that's why this meritocracy wow. thing is so important. Because mm-hmm. we need to believe that people are where they are because they earned it. Yes. So if you're suffering, you earned that. Mm-hmm. If you're poor, you're lazy mm-hmm. and stupid. If you're rich, you're good and smart. Right? Like and we you need to believe it. that all. Yeah of the inequality mm-hmm. in our culture is is what people earn and deserve right mm-hmm. and we bring that into the kingdom of God and feel like uh, I don't know but uh, so I just have been thinking a lot about like they not even aspirationally a meritocracy in the kingdom of God. that's not what it is yeah Jesus. Is supposed to be our enough, not even our faithfulness to Jesus, but Jesus's faithfulness to us yeah. is supposed to complete us. And I just, I mean, I, I struggle with that. Like I'm an, an American woman and yeah. I have been raised in this culture and I'm trying to live out my values and I, and I have been afforded so many blessings and so much grace and still it, it is just a struggle every day um, to say, no, no, no. What are my values?
1: Mm, mm -hmm, Um, mm
0: -hmm. And I have been given this great freedom to create a life on my values. And so I need to hold myself accountable for my values. And I mean, and I'm trying to make my values be the values of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And and it's hard. And sometimes the values of the kingdom of God are not even the values of the institutional
1: church. Yes.
0: I'm just going to leave that right there.
1: Anyway. Well, and if I can just pick up there, when you when you name your values and start living into them, you you realize at some point, probably sooner rather than later, um, how hard it is to just stay there, to just stay in the place of what you really value and there's this constant temptation to say, mm, I think I'll choose that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I or, think I will turn
0: or to say, stone like, into bread. Something is stopping me, or something I mean, the reality is because because I believe that Jesus gave us one command, mm-hmm. which is this is what I'm preaching about: love one another as I have loved you. One command, right? Which is not easy, but like I understand it, and there's nothing, there's no twist or turn that could happen in my life that would make it impossible for me to love the people Christ has put around me as Christ has loved me, right? Like, twists and turns in my life might be that I don't get to pastor a church anymore or Mm -hmm. that something Mm -hmm. terrible happens to someone I love in my family or that I get some debilitating disease or I get thrown in prison or, you know, Armageddon. Like, terrible things can happen in my life, but nothing can stop me from choosing to love the people in my life as Christ has loved me. Now, I can't do it without the Holy Spirit, but I'm just saying, like, there's no power or principality that has control over me on that level. So I'm terrifyingly free to to do it, and it's really hard then to say, like, if I'm not living out my values... That's not the Presbytery's fault. That's not the Sessions' fault. That's not Trump's fault. That's yeah. not that nobody else's yeah. responsibility. Yeah. But my surrendered heart to Jesus saying like, yeah. wow, I am incapable yeah. of choosing the good. Yeah. <laughs> and I do the thing I don't want to do. Yeah. And I need the Holy Spirit indwelling. And I need grace, mm. not just grace to forgive me, but grace to like fix it, Jesus. Yeah. Because yeah. I really am tired of the emotional, spiritual stress of trying to live with a foot in both yeah. worlds. Wow. So, okay, that's enough meta. <laughs> that's good stuff. What are you preaching about?
1: Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> I started working on the sermon um, last week, and um, I had, <laughs> brace yourself, six points. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I got to point number two, and I was already like 30 minutes long, and I thought, well, if we do all six points, I'm probably going to be preaching for an hour, hour and a half. And so I decided to um, break up the sermon into two parts. So again, we're looking at First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Uh, Peter is um, he's writing to these believers who are suffering. And I've never noticed this, and I've studied this text before, that scholars believe that Peter is writing this letter— The same year, there's the great fire in Rome and Nero begins to blame the Christians. And and I knew those things were related, but I didn't realize it was the same year. And so it seems that by the spirit, um, um, Peter senses, you know, this great storm of persecution is upon us. And I've been astonished, you know, how he begins the letter after he greets his his. Um, readers, listeners, he begins with praise God <laughs> um, when it comes to the suffering that they are enduring and will endure. And so again, we're just doing part two of how to have joy in the midst of the horrible storms of life, especially um, um, the, the, the pain that comes from seeking to be faithful. And um, there's um, I can't remember where it is in the New Testament, but um, uh, there's a place that says Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Um, and I've never really paid attention to that before. Um, and of course, our persecution isn't the same as the first century, but there is, there, there there's a pain there. When you're seeking to be faithful, um, you, you do suffer. And so... The text is really about how to suffer with joy,
0: right? And I mean, I do think that, like, if we're really trying to live by the value of kingdom, then we will make, we will choose to make what are real sacrifices mm-hmm. because we, because we are trying not to be conformed to the world, but in some ways mm-hmm. that we are in those sacrifices, even if there's not the kind of persecution that that Peter's church was enduring, and there's no telling that that couldn't happen yeah. in the future and it certainly does happen in other parts of the world um, but but even if it's not that there's still going to be suffering that comes from saying, because I was thinking about this too that I mean, the reality is, I mean I think we grow up sometimes believing like we can have the kingdom of God and the good life at a great price mm. and when we get really serious about the kingdom of God we realize like no, 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 like it really
1: it cost.
0: It costs something, and it and it costs you your life. Like yeah. not in the sense that maybe you're going to climb up on a cross and get crucified, mm-hmm. but it costs you make different choices with Absolutely. your one earthly life than Absolutely. you would make if you didn't believe that Jesus was your Lord, right? Mm-hmm. You make to, and and you know if we're wrong, yes. we just bet the only life yes. we have, right? And so it's a significant yeah. thing to be able to say, this is a different way of seeing the world, and if you're trying to live it out, even in the midst of your you know, backsliding and mistakes or whatever, mm-hmm. you still are giving the only life you have yeah. to what is profoundly, I mean, I, I think I think for a lot of middle-class American people, mm. you know, counter, counter-cultural. Mm-hmm. Long, long sermon. I was thinking simple, not easy. I think that's the thing for mm. your... When you talk to people about praying and meditating. Yeah. I'm saying it's simple. It's simple I'm not, but not saying not easy. it's easy. And that's what I want to say about yes. the seven words of Christ, right? Is to say like this is simple. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy.
1: That's great. Right. Yeah. And
0: that and I think we just do think that simple and easy are the same thing. Yes. And they're not. Yes. And everything we're asked to do is simple. And none of it is easy wow. most of the time.
1: Yes. That's good. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to steal that for Sunday. (laughs) It's simple but not easy. All
0: right. That's cool.